This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au.
Was Winter Witches, Knightsbridge. Yes, and indeed. South Australian band, queer South Australian band, are featuring M and Sweeney, and we're fortunate to have M from the band on the line. M, welcome to the wonderful airwaves of 3CR. Thank you for having me. Hi, M. M, you describe Winter Witches as a love story. Why is that? Uh, well, Sweeney and myself uh, formed a romantic partnership before we started collaborating. Uh, musically. So we've been together for almost five years now and I think Winter Witches has been happening for just over two. Uh, Yeah, so it was kind of uh, (laughs) at the risk of sounding twee. Love first and art second. Wow. Mm. So how's that impact on your music? Does it create a conflict that that manifests in the sound sometimes? I mean, your music's very mellow. Yeah. uh, No, I think... If you're going to collaborate with your partner and live with your partner and tour with your partner, you really have to have a very, very open and honest relationship, um, particularly creatively. So we're we're, we're very um, malleable. We're very communicative. Uh, we, we've we've learnt the the language that we need to kind of to do what's best for the music. I think if that makes sense. Mm. So how do you collaborate? Who does what? <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm I'm the singer, uh, and Jace takes care. Well, Sweeney um, takes care of most of the, the the putting together of the music and the sounds. Um, I also play a little bit of piano and keyboards. Um, we both collaborate on production. Sweeney does a bit of backing vocals and has sang a couple of singles in the past. So it's like it's really we we both kind of do most of it together. Mm-hmm. We just played your track, Night's Bridge, and it's beautiful. What's it about? What's it about? Um, oh, you tell me. <laughs> I, was, um, <laughs> I was... I was... I wrote... I started to write it in 2011, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an older one. Um, before Sweeney and I met, actually, it was it's sort of a, a seed of an idea that never... Nothing ever happened with, and then when Winter Witches came about, I, um, I brought it to the table, but... I um I was living in uh, London at the time and I was in Knightsbridge and I just found out that it, strangely enough there's nothing lyrical in there about this but I I wrote it just after I found out that um my grandmother died mm. and I think I was having a pretty shitty time uh anyway and you know a little bit un- un- unlucky in love and I think there was some turmoil in that part of my life so yeah that's uh that's sort of where it came from. Now, your up- upcoming album is called Mask, M-A-S-C. Yeah. Does the title allude to masculinity? Where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, well, it, it, it alludes to um, what, what, what masculinity means to different people and what, and what it means to inhabit, I guess, a, a masculine body, whatever that means, and not necessarily feel comfortable in it or uh, not necessarily feel comfortable being perceived as masculine or or what masculine what's happening with masculinity in the wider world as well i think mm. um yeah 
because you don't shy away from the male body with your imagery. There's a lot of flesh there. And I find it a really interesting contrast to your ethereal sound. Uh, what's going on there, do you think? Um, I don't I mean, <laughs> personally, I've, I've uh, always felt more comfortable in the nude. So maybe that's got something to do with it. It's not a bad oh. way to be. Um, I, maybe it's like an exorcism as well. Like right. maybe through being being public about one's body, you can kind of uh, explore it more or, or start to find some comfort in it or... Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not that, really that's sure. That's the it's, link, I guess, to the sound, isn't it? That kind of sensuality, I suppose. The sensuality, I, yeah, I think uh, raw is maybe another word, <laughs> pardon the pun, like in mm-hmm. the raw, but also the sounds can be quite raw. Um, yeah, quite often what happens when we're writing is we'll put uh, all the toys in the toolbox on the song and then and strip it away to make it, to make it as raw as possible. Mm. Yeah. So apart- Maybe we're doing the same with clothing. I don't know. <laughs> or without it. <laughs> yeah. So apart from the love story aspect, how's queerness or your queer identity informed your music? Well, I guess when you're a queer person, mm-hmm. when you're openly queer and when you're living a queer lifestyle, mm-hmm. you're subject to some things in the world that maybe others aren't and it just informs your identity, you know, mm-hmm. tra- trauma and, and, and all that kind of lovely stuff. Which is, uh, it's great creative fodder (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the end, yeah. Em, your Twitter profile says your music is from the city of light and the heart of darkness. Tell us about that place. Is it Adelaide? It is Adelaide and and, um, I guess for most of your listeners will probably be in Melbourne. So um, Adelaide is actually known as the city of light because it was founded, um, well, it was settled, I guess, um, when it became Adelaide uh, by Colonel Light. Um, and the heart of darkness, well, you know, I think that kind of speaks for itself with the music. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, because people often say Adelaide is the city of churches, but there's kind of like a, a dark underbelly there as mm. well, and I wonder the if you're tapping into that. The city of churches or the city of murders. Yeah. Well, is this the Depending serial killer? Speak to, yeah. I was going to mention the <laughs> serial killer, serial but I thought, oh, will I? But I'm glad yeah. you mentioned it a bit. It's pretty dark. Yeah, well, you know, any opportunity. Um, so you, you're touring a major new commissioned work called Climate of Cruelty this year. So can you tell us a bit about that project? I can tell you a little bit about that. When um, It's not touring yet. It's in its final development stage. And the name's actually changed. It was called Climate of Cruelty and Development, but it's mm. now changed to Sentient. Sentient? Sentient. Mm-hmm. Sentience. Yeah, like, like sentient beings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that's commissioned through Vital Statistics out in Port Adelaide. You're a fantastic arts organisation supporting... Um, a whole array of of amazing um, contemporary live art and and the likes and um, so the sentience is a project. I mean, we're we're really passionate about animal rights and and I suppose consider ourselves environmentalists to a certain extent. So this is a another avenue for us to explore um, uh, our creativity and it's basically it's more a performance based uh, like performance art based sound work that kind of addresses the fact that. Um, Animal agriculture is one of the biggest contributors to climate change, but mm. nobody seems to really be talking about it. So, mm. yeah, that's what we're doing with that. You played at a, a vegan festival, which I'd never heard of before. Yeah. That, yeah. 
Um, that was back in um, back in the day when we were a, uh, a drag DJ duo. Really? Oh. Yeah. Wow. You were both in drag. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I was in I was in like kind of full paint and heels and, and nails in the works, and, mm. and Sweeney was more in kind of uh, I, I guess masked kind of sculptural pieces that we'd create in our studio. <laughs> There's, I'm sure there's photos floating around on the internet somewhere if you Google hard enough. Mm-hmm. So is that where the name Winter Witches comes from? Because it's quite a contrast to the word mask, isn't it? Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, yeah, mask, has, there's a lot of stuff going on with the word mask. But uh, Winter Witches yes. came about um, because uh, we were asked by um, Vital Statistics, who's the company who's supporting Sentience, to... Uh, DJ at a um, at a closing night party that they were having, and we thought that would be fun. And I thought it would be very fun if uh, I did it in drag. And Sweeney thought it would be fun if he uh, did it in her kind of masked, kind of witchy getup. And um, it was in the middle of winter, and I guess we're we're sort of we're practicing witches to a certain extent. You know, that's oh, really? our way. yeah. So, so it's, it's like it's oh, the right thing really. To do. So so what does that entail? What does what entail? Being a witch, practicing, Practi- being a practicing witch. Like what? What does that? What does that involve? Well, I always. I mean, there's so many different different ways to describe it. I, I first and foremost, I think it's about a spirituality that's nature based. So it's kind um, of pagan influenced. But, yeah, pagan to a certain extent, but pagan to me often refers to deities, and I'm not sure how mm. I feel about that. And I really mean I'm not sure how I feel about that, whether I'm, I'm pro or con. Um, but, you know, I cast some spells, I read some tarot, mm-hmm. I like the trees, you know. <laughs> but there's like, the, there's what, there's black and, and white magic, right? Isn't that what it is? I'm sure he's a good witch. Like a... <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Wizard of Oz. Are you a good witch or a bad yeah. witch? I always thought Glenda was pretty pretty dodgy, to be honest, and she was supposed to be the good witch, but anyway. <laughs> she didn't melt with water or anything, did she? <laughs> no, I haven't seen Wicked. Maybe maybe Wicked explores her dark side more. I don't oh, know. No, I haven't seen it either. Oh, cool. Yeah. Now, we're going to go out on your uh, track, Lightly. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah. Um, what can I tell you about it? <laughs> Is it linked to witchcraft? <laughs> No, it's not. It's it's um it's it's more to do with to do with mask, um, and you know again it's a kind of a, a, a softer tune and lyrically it, it's very much dealing with concepts of masculinity. So it's linked to the body, like touch. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Nice. Great. Now to hear your music, purchase it even. Um, where do people go to? Uh, so if you go to, it's available, a uh, couple of songs are available on iTunes, but um, most comprehensively you can go to Bandcamp. So if you just go to Bandcamp and, and mm-hmm. type in Winter Witches, you can find our stuff. Cool. Awesome. Can't wait to hear Mask, your mm, upcoming album. M from Winter Witches, thanks heaps for joining us today on 3CR. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Em. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. See Cheers. Awesome. M there from Winter Witches. We're going to play their track lightly. We are. Oh, I'm so excited about the witchcraft. Me too. <laughs>
You're listening to 3CR Radio. You're listening to In Your Face on 3CR with Yvette and James. And A study of 521 same-sex attracted women in Australia has found they're more likely to have alcohol problems than heterosexual women. On the line, we have the study's chief investigator, Dr. Ruth McNair from the University of Melbourne. Welcome to 3CR, Ruth. Hi. Ruth, what does your research tell us about why same-sex attracted women have higher rates of alcohol issues than hetero women? Well, it's it's really multiple reasons. It's not easy to pin down for one particular person, but, you know, we start with discrimination and the fact that people use alcohol to self-medicate so that, you know, they use it to feel better, to relieve stress. Uh, That's a common usage amongst the general population, so the lesbian and bi women we talked to said that was one of the reasons they use alcohol to make themselves feel a bit better. Um, but it's more complex than that because a lot of women were actually not using for that reason at all. They were using to connect with other people, to connect with like-minded women, with lesbian and bi women, queer women. Um, so often, social isolation is a big factor by the sounds of it. Well, yeah, and, you know, that's one of the ways to overcome stress and discrimination is to find people who you get on well with and who are going to treat you like a human being. So, you know, a lot of women were drinking with friends in social settings um, and that helped their health. So, you know, I think we have to look at it from both perspectives. It's not just the negative. Sometimes alcohol is a very helpful social lubricant that is part of Australian life anyway. Mm. Um, And then a third reason was around identity and the fact that some women uh, felt drinking alcohol was part of the way they expressed themselves as a lesbian or bi person. So, you know, that was also an important thing for some people and I think this resonates with uh, issues around when you're talking with women about reducing their drinking. Sometimes there's quite a barrier because they don't want to lose those parts that are really helpful or effective for them. Mm. So, yeah. So what are some of the barriers to why these women are not accessing treatment? Well, I think you have to look at women in general. So some women find alcohol and drug services quite... Uh, difficult to deal with you know it's a pretty masculinized culture um, up to a point so you know that can be off-putting for some women Um, and then we have the issue of stigma and you know if a lesbian or bi woman or queer woman is going to a health service they're already worried that their sexuality will be stigmatized or frowned upon or whatever Um, and then you add the layer of drinking maybe too heavily and the woman just doesn't know how to present that in a way that's hopefully going to be safe. So I think, you know, that's a double-edged sword, if you like. Mm. Ruth, we're hearing a lot in the LGBTIQ community at the moment about bi erasure. Are its effects common catalysts, do you think, for same-sex attracted women being more likely to drink problematically? Uh, And did feelings about bi erasure come up in your research? Uh, Yeah, it did in the uh, qualitative part. So we interviewed quite a few women about their drinking. We also went and observed women with their permission when they were drinking in social settings. So, you know, bi women were saying, yeah, they don't feel comfortable necessarily in lesbian or straight community because of bi erasure. You know, they feel like they can be ostracised or um, told to get off the fence and all of those old stories that are still there, unfortunately. So, yeah, I think that was one of the issues that led to stress for bi women and therefore perhaps increased drinking. Ruth, could you tell us about the findings regarding intimate partner violence and its association with increased access to services for mental health and alcohol issues? Yeah, so that was an interesting connection. Mm. And it's hard to know which 
comes first. You know, in quantitative research, you can't really necessarily talk about cause, just effect. So I think it looked like to me, what I'm hypothesising is that women who had experienced or were experiencing interpartner violence were more likely to access health care in the first place because they needed to sort out issues of either mental or physical health. So they would disclose that already difficult issue to a health provider. Um, and hopefully if the provider's decent, they'll start asking questions about, you know, what's the gender of your partner, um, how does that relationship work for you, um, and then think about the associated issues of alcohol and drug use and mental health. So, you know, it's a whole package that women would be presenting with. So I think if a woman is um, coming out to a provider about one of this part of the package, then they are more likely to come out about other parts. Mm-hmm. Ruth, just focusing on one of your other roles, because I mean, your CV is amazingly diverse, and you've done yes. heaps of heaps of work in the community. You've chaired a state government task force on homelessness. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned there are no specific LGBTIQ homeless shelters, uh, particularly for LGBTIQ people fleeing domestic violence? Yeah, and look, that's a really important connection with alcohol. You know, that's homelessness is a big issue amongst LGBTI people, and not just young people, but you know, several groups of older people as well. Um, around service provision, yeah, I think there is a place for LGBTIQ-specific services um, up to a point, you know, and, and that's great if you're in a big urban centre and you can a service can set up something that's specific. I think it's not going to be practical in many areas, particularly rural areas of Australia, to have specific services. So, I mean, we're but sort in, of in the at- city of Melbourne, there, there could be... Demand, if you yeah. like, for for LGBTIQ shelters and, and yeah, domestic violence. Sure. That's right. And in services. fact, there is a pilot being run at the moment, which is that government funded called Wombat um, in the west of Melbourne, and that's specifically for LBQ or actually LGBTI people who have experienced intimate partner violence or family violence and need shelter. So you know they're onto it. There's a pilot happening to see if there's a need. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to see that replacing mainstream services uh, getting LGBTI inclusive practice because I think we need both. So, you know, a service needs to be both um, inclusive and also perhaps have an additional area that's specific. So does that, that does that wombat pilot, does that provide a safe space for people to go to if they are experiencing intimate partner violence? Yes, yes. I don't know much of the detail of it, but it, I know it is a residential service for people fleeing IPV and, and family violence. So, you know, that's designed specifically for LGBTIQ people um, as a safe space with appropriate uh, service providers who understand the community. Ruth, what did your research tell you about the mental health effects of uh, same-sex attracted women drinking? Uh, what were the mental health links that came up through your research? Mm. Oh, they were very strongly linked. And again, hard to work out what came first, but... You know, if, if women were drinking in hazardous levels, uh, they were more likely to have mental health problems. Was that common? Yeah, yeah, very right. common. How common? Uh, well, gosh, I can't remember the stats, but, you know, I mean, this study was about drinking behaviour, so, you know, 99% of the women were drinkers. So it's not a community sample. It's a very specific sample. Um, but, you know, well over half the sample had mental health issues as well. But again, is, is it hard to determine what came first? Are these women yeah. drinking because... Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And, I mean, look, it could go either way. You know, women could have mental health issues and be using drinking to self-medicate or the alcohol might be very much the first thing that happens and that's affecting their mental health. And, you know, it's, it's not in isolation. So these two issues are also related to stigma and discrimination or marginalisation. Um, I mean, an interesting finding around young people and drinking, uh, not from our study, but from the Household Drug Survey in Australia, shows that LBQ women are more likely to start drinking younger than heterosexual women by, you know, a couple of years. So start around 15, whereas heterosexual young women start around 17 or 18. Uh, and so that, you know, in itself might be a trigger to other issues mm. if they're drinking heavily without much supervision or support. Ruth, um, did you find some subgroups within same-sex attracted women uh, were more likely to have drinking problems than others? For instance, was it was it a bigger issue in the lesbian community than among women who identify as bisexual or the other way around? Um, what can you tell us about that? Uh, well, I think our sample had a high rate of drinking anyway, so right. you know we couldn't really tease out those issues. I mean, if you look at population-based samples where there are enough people to identify differences within groups, um, we do see bisexual women have a higher level of problematic drinking than lesbian women. Mm. Um, and then you look at age, uh, older lesbian women might be, or a subgroup of older lesbian women who are isolated, perhaps rural um or out of work or other issues of isolation uh, have a high rate of drinking. Um, you know, the other issue we didn't cover very well is gender diversity. And, yeah, I was going to um, ask you about that. What did you find out yeah, about it? I mean, we did interview a few women who were gender diverse um, or trans and, you know, who were same-sex attracted, which is why they were same polygender attracted, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, why they were in our study. So, you know, they also had quite unique issues around uh, finding community, um, family rejection, um, issues of, you know, employment or education disadvantage. So, you know, as part of affirmation of gender. So, you know, I think there are lots of subgroups in our LGBTIQ communities that uh, might have higher risk of alcohol use. It's a big rainbow, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that that applies then to service provision because not one size fits all at all. You know, we have to look at the subgroups who are very different. You know, you think of an older lesbian in the country versus a young trans or gender-diverse person in in Melbourne. You know, they have very different needs, even though they might both be drinking heavily. So I think we're starting to get onto that around targeted health promotion within different communities. You know, there's a great program that's starting, that VAC is running for rural older lesbians around um, reducing drinking or safe drinking behaviours. And so they've, you know, done focus group testing and worked out what the messaging needs to be for that particular group. And, you know, it's time consuming, but this has to happen for all of the subgroups if we're going to do a a good job at helping people reduce their drinking. Ruth, for more information about this issue, where can people go to? Uh, Well, I'd say go through the AIDS Council. So obviously in Victoria, back is the peak here, and they have put a lot of effort in the last years into alcohol and drug use in our community. So... You know, as I said, they're doing this study with lesbians. They've got um, a website called Touchbase, which is, I can't remember the full website, but just search that. Um, and that's got specific information about alcohol and drug use in the LGBTI community and especially where to get help. So, you know, I think that's probably the first port of call. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.